morning. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Next Wednesday, we are having a, a night of worship and prayer. I know that uh, God's really been moving and blessing our church in the area of worship. And so if you've been encouraged in worship, uh, please invite someone to come out. That'll be next Wednesday night. And then the first Wednesday in October, we'll start the book of Genesis and start Genesis through uh, Revelation all over again. So excited about the book of Genesis as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the joy of being able to study it together here on Wednesday nights. And Lord, we need to be fed by you. And so we pray that you would feed our souls, that you would encourage us, that you, Jesus, would be glorified. We thank you, Father, for your plan of redemption. It's so good. It's so wonderful. We thank you for the hope of eternal life. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we wrap up the scriptures here tonight, as we've been studying on Wednesday nights from Genesis to Revelation, we see that the end is just the beginning. The end of all time is the beginning of all of eternity. These two chapters, chapter 21 and chapter 22, really give us insight into heaven. I hope that your heart is leaping towards heaven as a believer, that you're looking forward to seeing the face of Jesus Christ. The end of scripture gives us the full plan of God's redemption. Genesis 1 really begins with God's heart to be in relationship with us. Because of our sin, because of Adam's sin, Eve's sin, we fall short, and God had predestined, predetermined that Jesus would be sent to die upon the cross for us to restore us back to God. So all of scripture is God's working this plan of redemption to where one day we'll be gathered around God's throne room, beholding God, seeing him for who he is. So let's begin our journey in verse 1 of chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. John the disciple is being shown these things by the angel, and he sees this pure river of water that is there in heaven. It's like crystal, and it comes from the throne room of God. Ezekiel 47 is a vision of the throne room of God, and you also see a river coming as well. And this river brings life. This speaks of the continual well of everlasting life that God gives to us. We're going to drink of this river. We're going to enjoy of this river. Jesus describes himself as the source of living water. He is a living water. In verse 2, in the middle of its streets, on either side of the river, was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So in the middle of heaven, you have its street with the river, and then each side of the river is the tree of life, which has 12 different kinds of fruit. Now, I believe these to be literal fruits that we're going to enjoy. We're going to be eating for all of eternity. We're going to be feasting without guilt for all of eternity. We see the marriage feast of the Lamb, where Jesus has prepared a great feast for us. Christ in his glorified body, he ate, didn't he? And so these 12 fruits are going to be enjoyed every month. Every month is another fruit of the month, a flavor of the month. So 
I don't know how you feel about fruit, but I anticipate this fruit to be very, very delicious and very, very good. What more about the tree of life? What's significant about the tree of life? As we go back to the book of Genesis, we see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Where Adam and Eve sinned, where they chose to disobey God, it was the one tree where God says, you cannot eat of of this tree. So sin entered in, and that affected their fellowship with God. And at the end of Genesis 3, we see an angel's job is to protect people from coming back into the Garden of Eden to eat of the tree of life. Because to have everlasting life in a sinful state, wouldn't that be a miserable existence? I'm looking forward to eternity glorified, eternity absence of sin, but to live with this stinking sinful flesh for all of eternity, no thanks. And thankfully, there's another tree, the tree of Calvary, where Christ died for our sins and rose again so that we could be forgiven and welcomed back to the tree of life. So the story of redemption or God's plan could really be described in three trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of Calvary where Christ died upon the cross, and the tree of life. What's also interesting about this tree is there is a documentation of time. That every month that there's going to be a different fruit. So even in heaven, we're going to be keeping track of time, even though it's probably not going to be so important because we have all of eternity. And then the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Don't we long for the healing of the nations? I recently got finished with a book on the World War II time period, and it focused on a particular POW. It was a fascinating book and fascinating story, and it delved deep into the history of World War II. But the amount of atrocities that were done between nations, the way nations treated each other, is just mind-blowing. The kind of hatred and the way dehumanization took place to say, we're going to treat them not like people, but by like animals. You know, we maybe 20, 30 years ago thought that there was less hatred between the nations, between people groups, between ethnic groups. But now I think most would say that hatred is alive and well, that our country's more divided than it's ever been. Nations are more divided than they've ever been. And ultimately, Jesus is the one that's going to heal the nations. And around the tree of life, the nations are going to be gathered. All those that believe. Now, maybe somewhere in your heart, there's a little bit of prejudice or hatred towards a group of people. I want you to realize you're going to be spending eternity with them. And God has created all of us in his image. Amen? And so God loves his design. It's his his design. And these languages, the people groups, the ethnicity is all going to be gathered around God's throne room in perfect harmony, in perfect in perfect unity because of what Christ has done for us. In verse 3, and there shall be no more curse. Hallelujah, no more curse, right? You might be saying, well, what in the world is this? What is this curse? When Adam and Eve sinned, the father came to talk with them in the cool of the day, and the consequences came because of their sin. And for Eve, there would be pain and childbearing. So ladies, You can just punch her in the face when you get to heaven. Like, thanks so much, you know, for this pain in in, uh, childbearing. That was a result of sin. Also, 
God looks at Eve and says, your desire is going to be for your husband, and he's going to rule over you. And so here Eve is going to have a desire to want to be in relationship uh, with her husband, but then Adam was going to have that leadership in her life. Adam, having the responsibility of being a provider, God looks at Adam and says, there's going to be toil in your work. Food is going to come through extreme hard work, and there's going to be weeds that you're going to have to deal with. And we live under that curse, don't we? Until we go home to be with the Lord. But at this point in heaven, that curse is going to be removed. It's going to be no more. We're not going to have to deal with it any longer. Jesus became accursed for us so that this curse could be removed and we could be blessed by the Lord. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So in the midst of heaven is the throne of God and the Lamb. And we're in the midst of the presence of the Father and of Jesus and his servants, which is us, we shall serve him. So for all of eternity, we get the joy of serving the Father, of whatever he would desire for us to do. It's hard for us to get our minds wrapped about around heaven. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of feasting and plenty of enjoyment and plenty of leisure, if you would, but also there's going to be things that the Father's going to have for us to do. Ways that we're going to be serving the Lord and serving at his throne. I really like verse 4. It says, Then they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Seeing the face of God's a big deal, isn't it? Remember when Moses requested, God, I want to see your glory? That's a great prayer. God, I want to see your glory. And God says, you know what, Moses? If you see my face, you're going to die. Because Moses in his sinful state could not behold the glory of God. So God says, my backside will, will pass before you. That's all that you can, can see of me. And then God declares his name, that his name is gracious and merciful to, to Moses. When we go home to be with the Lord and we step into heaven, we're going to see his face. We're going to behold his face. This was a motivating factor for Job in his trials. He had this faith, this hope, this belief that he was going to behold God. If you believe the gospel and you trust Christ for salvation, the last breath here on earth is your first breath in heaven and you're going to see God. You're going to behold God. What a joy that is to be able to behold the Lord. Psalm 17 verse 15 says, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I'll be satisfied when I wake in your likeness. When we behold the face of God, we're going to be transformed. We're going to be in his likeness. 1 John 3 verse 2 says, Behold, now we are children of God, and it's not yet revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How wonderful is that going to be, to be like the Lord, to wake up in his likeness? And that's the moment that we're going to be satisfied because we're no longer going to be wrestling with sin, being tempted with sin. Sometimes when we walk with the Lord, we're naive to think, well, because I've walked with the Lord for this amount of time, then temptation is going to go away. Or maybe I'm above falling prey to a particular sin or a particular temptation. But if we're honest, it never goes away, does it? And if pride enters in, we're going to fall into that sin. Until we go home to be with the Lord, we're going to wrestle against flesh and blood. 
There is going to be spiritual warfare. There is going to be, be temptation. And to wake up in God's presence and to be out of the war, <laughs> the war against sin, the war with the enemy, it, it's all done. We behold the Lord. And also, God then takes his name and puts it on our foreheads. We've seen throughout the book of Revelation the marking of the Antichrist. Him trying to name claim on people and them giving their allegiance to the Lord. This shows God's ownership of us. By him putting his name upon us is for all of eternity, our identity is found in his name. His name is his character, his nature. I was thinking about this this afternoon, and when we're beholding each other in heaven, we're going to see the name of God on each other. You can't see your own forehead without a mirror or your cell phone. Thankfully, we won't have smartphones in heaven. We won't need them, right? So we're, we're spending time together in heaven, and we see the name of God on each other. And this is a great way to live now in faith, right? We don't see each other now glorified, but we will see each other glorified in the future. And when you look at another believer, choose to see the nature of God that's been placed upon them. Choose to see the gospel. Choose to see them robed in Christ's righteousness. In verse 5, There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I was trying to think about what's the significance of the fact that there's no night in heaven. I'm kind of quickly read over this and go, Man, this is great. There's no nighttime in heaven. Christ is the source of light. He's the source of warmth and illumination. The obvious is there's no need for rest. There's no need for for sleep. Oftentimes with darkness, great evil happens at night, doesn't there? It's wisdom to not be out at two in the morning. Not a lot of good things happen at two in the morning. Quite honestly, I wouldn't want to be hanging out in our church parking lot at two in the morning, right? It's dark. Wickedness happens at at night. And in heaven, there's no wickedness. There's no darkness. The light speaks of the purity. The light speaks of life and the complete transformation that Christ has, has brought us in. And there's no need for a sun because Christ is the source of light. There's no need for a candle. There's no need for a a flashlight. Never again to know darkness. Never again to know evil. Verse 6, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. The things that we're reading, they're faithful and true. We can count on them. God gave this message to his angel that gave it to John. And these things must take place shortly. This word shortly in the Greek, it means rapidly. It means when these things take place, they're going to take place very quickly. But also from God's perspective, his coming is very near. We look at this and go, man, John wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. And this has not happened quickly. But remember, a 1,000 years to the Lord Our thousand years to us is simply a day to the Lord. He lives on a totally different timetable. When you've got all of eternity, God is eternal. From his perspective, he's going to come quickly. 
I think when all of this is wrapped up, all the things that we've studied in the book of Revelation that are yet future, and we're experiencing the reality of Revelation 22, we're going to go, wow, this happened quickly. It happened rapidly, but this also happened quickly. One of the things that was important to Christ is that we would be ready for his return, his imminent return that could happen at any moment. Wouldn't it be exciting if after finishing Revelation tonight, God took us home in the rapture, right? And that's the way Jesus wants us living our lives, is in anticipation that this is going to happen quickly. And our lives are also dissipating quickly, aren't they? We're racing to this moment of standing before the Lord in eternity. In verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. Jesus declaring, I am coming quickly. That's the promise of Christ. And the exhortation that we're to keep the words of this prophecy. You know, the primary purpose of the book of Revelation is not to form a position of pre-trib, me-trib, (laughs) mid-trib, or post-trib, right? Though I have a view on that, you guys know it, it's pre-trib. It's not to have all of these doctrinal differences, It's to see Jesus revealed, to fall more in love with him, to have a hope of eternity and say, Jesus, I want to walk with you. Jesus, I want to keep your commands. I want to be close to you. This is Christ's application of this book. It's saying, fall in love with me, follow me, keep my word. That's the command that Christ is giving to us. In verse 8, now I, John, saw and heard these things, And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. This is the second time that John has made this mistake. And relatively shortly, in chapter 19, he did the same thing and the angel rebuked him and said, don't do this, right? You can't worship me. I'm just an angel. Now he does it again. This shows us how overwhelming the angel is. John's intent is not to worship the angel. He is confused. There's a couple of things for us to learn here. And the first is we always need to be careful we don't get our eyes on the messenger. God may use an author in your life. He may use a speaker, a pastor, a mentor, And if you're not careful, you can focus in upon that person. And they're just a person, right? They're a sinner that's fallen short, that's saved by grace. And our attention needs to be upon Jesus Christ. Our worship needs to be upon Jesus Christ. If you say, well, this person was taken out of my life, I don't know where my faith would be. I don't know where my walk with the Lord would be. If I could no longer go to this church or this Bible study group, I don't know where I would be in my relationship with Christ, then that reveals that we're putting too much dependency on a person or a church instead of upon Christ. Now, by all means, enjoy a church. Commit to a church. By all means, glean from a mentor, but be careful to not put them on a pedestal and realize God will take people in and out of your life because he wants us to be fully dependent upon him. 
And then if there's ever a time where people seem to be focusing too much on us instead upon the Lord, we want to be the same as John the Baptist and this angel that says, worship God. John the Baptist was so clear. This is going to be so freeing if you get this. I am not the Christ. (laughs) People came to him saying, are you the Messiah? He's like, no way. I am not the Christ. That's a good thing for us to know and to be able to share with people. Look, I am not the Savior. And there's only one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ, and worship him. And the angel's so wise to shut this down and say, worship God. Don't get your attention and your focus upon me. Verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. You almost think it's going to read, seal this up, because it's not the time of the end. Because that's what we find in the book of Daniel. Daniel was instructed, seal up this vision until the time of the end. But here, the message is, don't seal it up, because the time is at hand. This means that the book of Revelation is to be open, right? Unfortunately, the book of Revelation is one of the most misunderstood books of the Bible, and many times Christians are discouraged from studying it and reading it. Have you been discouraged from studying and reading it? I hope discouragement hasn't entered your soul because you've read Revelation, right? So don't allow this to be your last study of Revelation. Read it devotionally. Read it personally. It's so encouraging to see Christ in his glory. God says, don't seal this because the time is at hand. Verse 11 He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. In reading over this chapter, for some reason, this verse kept standing out to me. It almost seems out of place. You have all of these promises of heaven and the tree of life, the river of living water, these exhortations that are given, and then you have this verse. And what does this mean? It almost seems to me that what God is saying through this verse is if you read through the book of Revelation and you're going to continue being unjust and you're going to continue being filthy, then go for it. If this doesn't bring you to a place of receiving Christ as your Savior and walking with him, then continue in what you're doing. And if reading the book of Revelation gets you to the conclusion that walking with Christ matters and righteousness matters, then continue in that place as well. In verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. We're getting a point of emphasis here. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. This would really encourage the church that's receiving this that's living in such persecution and difficult times. Jesus is coming. He's coming quickly. Christ says, I have my reward. I'm coming with my reward. The conquering king is coming with his reward. Do you ever wrestle with or have this doubt in your heart, in your mind that goes, I don't know if it's really worth it to live for Christ. I don't really know if it's, it's worth it to be one of those, to be a Jesus freak. It seems like people that are committed to Jesus, they've got trial and they've got persecution and those that live for themselves seem to be on the easy street. At this moment, when Christ returns, there's gonna be no doubt about how worthwhile it was to receive Christ. 
And as believers, we don't go through the great white throne judgment that we've studied, but we do go through the Bema seat judgment. What is that? It's where the works of our lives pass through a fire, and that was of Christ, will be precious stones, but was, was not of Christ, will be burned up with wood, hay, and stubble. So Jesus is saying, it matters how you live your life. It matters for the sake of reward, not for salvation, but for reward. Now, I can't really factor in this whole reward thing in heaven because I look at this and go, man, being saved, being the child of God, dancing on the streets of gold, at the marriage feast, enjoying the fruit from the tree of life, having God's name tattooed on my forehead, that's more than enough, right? And that's what God promised to us as believers. So by faith, I have to trust the words of Christ that we're going to care about the reward. And what does make sense to me is the elders taking their crowns and laying them down at the feet of Jesus. Any reward that we're given by Christ, I think we're going to be so moved in worship, we're going to lay those down at the feet of Jesus. We're going to lay those crowns down at the feet of Jesus. Church, this was a motivating factor to the Apostle Paul. He wanted to run in such a way that he would win the crown. He says, this is worth it. This reward matters. I want to evaluate how I'm living my life. It's cliche, isn't it? But how we live echoes through all of eternity. And you might be saying, well, Eric, what in the world are you saying? Do I got to do something great and grand for God to be able to receive a reward? Do you know God rewards by faithfulness? He rewards by faithfulness. You bring a cup of cold water to a child in Jesus' name, he rewards. Can, we, can you do that? Yeah. Can you do your schoolwork under the Lord? Whatever your hands find to do, do it under the Lord. And I'm not always at that place. We're not always at that place. But we can literally be at the dishwasher and do it under the Lord. Say, God, I want to just do these dishes for you. I want you to be blessed in my worship by living before you. You're never going to regret living for the Lord. He is coming with his reward. Church, are you weary and doing good? for one reason or another, we all get there. Don't be weary in doing good. The reward is coming. Don't lose heart. Keep being faithful. Keep planting those seeds. One of David's mighty men risked his life over a pile of beans. And scripture holds him up as a man of great valor. Why? Because he says, I'm not going to let the enemy take these beans. I don't really like beans. You're like, you can have the frijoles, man. See ya. I'm out of here. It's like, no, these are God's beans. These are for God's people. So I'm going to stand here and I'm not going to let you take these beans. And God did a great victory. Are you counting beans? Are you guarding beans? Right? Does it just seem meaningless? Do it unto the Lord. Because God sees and he's going to reward. Verse 13, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last fitting for the closing page of scripture where God says I'm the beginning I'm the alpha but I'm also the omega I'm the end I'm the conclusion alpha being the first letter of the Greek alphabet omega the last I'm the beginning and the end I'm the first and the last he's that in our lives he's that in creation 
Blessed are those who do his commands that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Does this mean that we're saved by works? That if you keep the commands of God, you get to come through the gates to the tree of life? If this was the only verse you studied in scripture, that may be your conclusion. But Jesus says in John 6, 29, he said, and this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. What saves us is our belief in Jesus and what he's done, his death and resurrection. So does it matter to keep the commands of God? Yes, because it's evidence of the fact that we are saved. We're desiring to live an obedient life under Christ because God has saved us, but not to try to earn or deserve salvation. Because when have you kept the commandments well enough to actually earn or deserve salvation? That's the problem with works-based salvation. You could never be good enough in order to earn salvation. What a great way to live, to not be in debt to God, to try to earn something from him, but simply to be able to respond to his grace. But just like living our lives matters because of reward, living our lives in obedience and holiness also matters to the Lord. It glorifies the Lord, and it's the best thing for us. It's the best thing for us. Jesus said that he came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. Have you ever regretted a holy, wholesome decision, right? Have you ever regretted going, oh man, I'm so, so bummed out that I actually followed the Lord in this area of my life. But do we regret sin? Absolutely, don't we? In verse 15, but outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexual and moral, murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Dogs speaks to legalists that add to the word of God. Sorcery is witchcraft, sexually immoral, sexual sin, murderers, idolaters, placing anything above the Lord, and then loving and practicing a lie. This speaks of lifestyle, not struggle. This is someone who is willfully in rebellion to God, it says, I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior, and I'm going to walk in rebellion to God as well. Thankfully, this is not speaking of struggle. Sometimes as believers, we struggle, we compromise, and we get right with the Lord and continue to walk with him. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. So Christ sends the angel to John to give him this message. Remember where John was when he received this message from the angel. He's on the island of Patmos, exiled as a prisoner. He's isolated in extreme difficulty. And Jesus says, you know what? I want you to send some encouragement to John. And John's going to pass this encouragement on to the churches. Are you in a Patmos? Are you on an island that you can't get off of? Are you isolated? Are you in extreme difficulty? Look for the messenger. Jesus is going to send you a messenger. And it's going to result in greater revelation of Jesus Christ. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The root speaks of the beginning. Jesus is the author of the offspring of David. But he is also the descendant of David. So God created David, but Jesus came through David, and this speaks of the mystery of the incarnation. 
Jesus was born of the lineage of David. Also, Jesus is the bright and the morning star, the first star in the morning that shines with great brilliance, just as Christ expels the darkness, welcomes in the new day. So here's our response in verse 7, 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So this is what the Spirit is doing. This is what the the Spirit is crying out. The Spirit is crying out to Jesus saying, come. So be it. Make this happen. And the bride, the church, this is us. This is the cry of our hearts where we say, Jesus, come. Isn't that the cry of your heart? Jesus, come. I can't wait for you to come back. I can't wait for you to make things right. I'm so looking forward to being with you for all of eternity. That's the cry of our hearts. That's the chorus of the church. And then we see also an invitation. And let him who thirsts come, and whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. So we're crying out to Jesus, saying, Jesus, come. And Jesus is crying out to us, and he's saying, come. It's the beauty of relationship. And he's inviting us as we're waiting for him to come. The Bible is filled with tremendous come invitations. In Isaiah 1, verse 18, it says, Come and let us reason together, says the Lord. Come, let's, let's sit down and let's talk about this. Isaiah 55, verse 1 says, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come you to the waters. The Bible doesn't often use this ho. That's to get your attention. It's like, hey, hey, knuckleheads, if you thirst, come. Are you thirsty? Then, then come. Jesus, come unto me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, Matthew 11. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Let the little children come to me. John 1, verse 39, Jesus says, come and see. Tonight, Jesus is welcoming us to living water. Do we thirst? And are we willing to take of of the living water? We're going to experience this in fullness, in heaven and eternity, but Christ wants to give that to us tonight. As much as we can possibly contain to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need to drink of the water that only you can provide. What well are you drinking out of? What fountain are you going to to try to bring satisfaction? Jesus had a conversation with the Samaritan woman at a well. First talks about physical water. Give me a drink. As a bridge to talk about living water. And Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. He's so good at this. He asks, hey, where's your husband? Oh, you know, I'm really this and that. Jesus so graciously responds and says, you've answered well. Because the guy that you're with is not your husband. And you've had multiple husbands. And Jesus in that moment expresses what she'd been looking to for satisfaction, and it was relationship, relationship with men. Going through husband after husband after husband, now living with a guy who wasn't her husband, And she experiences living water. She goes back into the village and she says, 
I met a man who told me everything I've ever done. You read it for yourself, John 4, the men of the city run out to meet Jesus. Why? Because I think they're part of that story, right? Like, I did some things with this lady, right? And this guy knows everything she's ever done. Uh, that involves me. I'm, I'm getting out of here. We're going to go see what is going on. And Jesus sees all these Samaritans coming. He turns to the disciples. He says, great is the harvest. And what is it in our lives that God just identifying where he's speaking to us and saying, you know, you're looking to this thing. You're looking to this person. You're looking to this accomplishment. Sometimes it's a sinful thing. Sometimes it's not necessarily sinful, but it's taken the wrong priority. And because of it, we're empty. Because of it, we're not drinking. And God says, you've got to stop drinking from that well and start coming to me. Well, how does that work? Come to Christ and say, Jesus, I need this living water that you talk about. And here I am, I'm a believer, I'm your child, but I need this living water fresh in my life. Maybe you say, I've never trusted Christ. I'm not the child of God and I want to be saved. I'm ready to experience this living water that only Christ can provide. In verse 18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the book of this prophecy, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that were written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. If you're wanting to mess with the book of Revelation, maybe add a few things, take a few things out, you might want to just go read chapters 6 through 19 again. Because that's the plagues. And God says if you mess with the book of Revelation, then you're going to experience these plagues. You're not going to have eternal life. We are not to add to or to take away from the word of God. How many changes in a recipe does it take to really mess it up? Right? Not too many. Just deviate a little bit. We don't have the liberty to add to God's word, to take away from God's word. Because by doing that, we're really trying to establish before God that I'm the authority. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, we see this command given as well. You shall not add to the word which I've commanded you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God, which I have commanded you. So we're instructed not only in the book of Revelation, but all throughout Scripture to not add or to take away from the Word of God. Once again, we see the response of God's people, the response of the church. It says, Amen, even so, come Lord Jesus. John uses an Aramaic phrase that was popular during the ancient church. It's Maranatha. Maybe you've heard that. Maranatha. What does it mean? It means, even so, come Lord Jesus. That's the cry of our hearts, Maranatha, come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. The last verse of the Bible, here it is. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. God's grace is his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. I had a question this week where 
someone was asking me about the Old Testament. They're saying, it seems that God is so angry in the Old Testament. And it almost seems like there's two different personalities or God's schizophrenic. And I was able to try to explain that we see God and his justice in the Old Covenant. And if it wasn't for the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, we wouldn't see our need for God's grace revealed in Jesus Christ. God knows us. So he said, all right, I'm going to give you a perfect environment that doesn't even have the presence of sin. Let's see how you do. Adam and Eve sin. Shows us our need for the blood of Jesus. Okay, well, a perfect environment, that's out of the question. Just give me some rules. God, if you give me some rules, I'll keep them. And I don't need your son to come die on the cross for me. God says, here you go. Here's 613. Try them on for size. It's the law, right? And we very quickly realize, I need grace. I need Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Well, maybe man is inherently good. And man doesn't need a savior. Man just needs to follow their own heart. Maybe if we just teach kids to follow their own heart, things are going to work out. The book of Judges says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And as you study the book of Judges, you see such depravity, such wickedness, such brutality, and God's very open and honest with that. We need a savior. When we do what's right in our own eyes, it's a complete, absolute mess. To where when Christ comes on the scene in the book of Matthew, after the old covenant, we're in a place where we're ready to receive the new covenant, Covenant means contract with God, and it's a contract of grace. Grace is not the beginning point. It's also the ending point, and it's every point in between. And God doesn't make a mistake with his word. He chooses us. He chooses to leave us in the hands of his grace, his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor in the new covenant of Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that God operates in grace in our lives based through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So I hope that you're encouraged by the hope of heaven and the reality of heaven. I hope that you're encouraged to live your life for the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit, to believe that God desires and has the power to use you. And I just want to express as we've been going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, when I first started senior pastoring 14 years ago, we were in Deuteronomy. So that's where I started. So the church has been going through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, before I started pastoring. And I've had the joy on Wednesday nights to walk with you guys from Deuteronomy to, to Revelation. And it's been one of the great joys of my life to be able to study the scriptures uh, together. Uh, pastors don't really get this opportunity anymore. There's not a lot of churches that study the Bible from one cover to the other cover. I mean, for one, there's just not time to do it. I mean, it, it's rare to find a group of people that want to come to a through the Bible study, right? So I want to thank you for being here, for loving Jesus, for loving his word. It's been a real joy of my heart to be able to study through uh, the scriptures. And, you know, quite honestly, one of the things that we pray about over time is just, Lord, what do you have for us as a church? Do you want us to continue going through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation? Are you very committed to verse-by-verse study, but we're doing that on the weekends, you know? So 
Why do it again on Wednesday night? One, one of the things that we get as a critique as a church sometimes is you're too Bible focused, right? There's just too much Bible study that's happening over there, right? And as we've been praying about it and thinking about it, we really do believe that God uses a study that goes through Genesis to Revelation. And God could do it a different way, right? You know, you, could, you don't necessarily have to go Genesis through Revelation, but it's a joy to be able to see the full counsel of God revealed. And what we do at Rocky Mountain Calvary is simple. But I hope that as we are doing this, especially on Wednesday nights, is you go, man, I can read the scriptures. I can share the scriptures. You know, what they're doing there is not rocket science. They're opening the Bible. They're reading it. They're sharing it. I can open the Bible. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I can study it. And I can begin to share that with others. And God will use the word of God in my life and in the lives of of others. So I would encourage you to pray about recommitting in a sense to Wednesday nights as we come to the book of Genesis in two weeks from tonight and begin to read ahead, you know? And then I would also encourage you to start your own through the Bible study because some of us will be in eternity before we finish this next through the Bible study is read ahead where we're going to be, but just start reading through the scriptures. Take two or three chapters a night, a morning, and read it. And trust that God is going to speak to you. And approach the scriptures with a, a pencil to underline, maybe a notebook to write down verses that are standing out to you. And I got to tell you, there's going to be some things that you don't understand as you read. There's some things I don't understand as I teach. That's really humbling, right? You've heard me say, I'm waiting for more information on this, right? And when I'm doing my devotions, especially in the morning when I'm tired, I'm like, man, I don't even know what I just read right there. But then there's other times where it just really, really speaks to me. But when there has been a move of God, there's always been a return to the word of God and a belief that God is speaking to us and trembling at his word because of his love for us. God loves you. He's speaking to you through his word. And if there was ever a time where we needed the word of God to be alive in our lives, it's now. And don't believe the lie that you can't understand the scriptures. As you study and you pray, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You're gonna understand the scriptures. You really can read it from Genesis to Revelation. There's three Ds that stick with me sometimes. It's duty, discipline, and delight. And when it comes to the word of God, sometimes it is duty. And we don't like that. We go, man, this, this just feels like an obligation. Maybe I should stop doing this. I'm, I'm a legalist. You know, I know I'm not saved through my works. And why is this this way? That's just part of a relationship with God. Sometimes it is sheer commitment. It's duty. You're reading God's word out of duty. I'm reading God's word out of duty. Then that shifts to discipline. This isn't quite so much duty anymore. This has now become a discipline in my life. But I don't necessarily always want to do it, right? It's like going to the gym. Who wants to go to the gym? Very rarely do you want to go for the gym or want to go for a run. But, but afterwards, I'm so glad that I did. I got that, that exercise. So it goes from duty to discipline. And then eventually that gives way to delight, 
And there's a season where like, this is just sheer delight. This relationship with the Lord, this is so good. And that lasts for a little while. And then all of a sudden something happens and it shifts back into duty. It's like, oh no, I'm in doo-doo again. I'm in duty. You know, I'm getting into the word out of, out of obligation and you climb out of that and it gets back to discipline. And then there's, then there's delight. And God's bringing us in that cycle. God's word is so good. It reveals to us Jesus Christ. It reveals his plan of redemption. There's power in the word of God. You better believe there's a spiritual battle when it comes to getting into the word of God. Why is it so hard to get here on Wednesday nights? Because Satan doesn't want us here hearing the word, right? Why is it so hard to open up the word of God when ESPN opens so quickly on my iPad, right? Because ESPN can't provide salvation. But Jesus Christ is salvation. So we press through and realize, man, there's power in the word of God. So let's stand together and let's pray and enter into communion. Lord, we thank you so much to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for the word. Thank you for the joy of being able to study it together, for you meeting us time and time again. We thank you for the reality that the end is just the beginning. That when we step into eternity, it's the beginning of new life and we look forward to that. And God, as we, Lord willing, get back into the book of Genesis, we pray that you would really bless our time in Genesis and renew our hunger for your word. May you meet us afresh tonight in communion. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.